You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot button internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly broadcasting live from the Internet Law Center here in Santa Monica the heart of Silicon Beach. Um, please be seated. We've got a great show for you today. Um, we're going to be talking to uh, our very good friend, Stan Stahl, who's going to give us an update on the state of cybersecurity, um, covering a broad range of things. Um, this is Stan's seventh time on this show, so um, we're really glad to have him. And um, so um, we're going to go to him in a minute, but first... Um, you know, every generation seems to have a, a, a day that they remember exactly where they were. Um, in the 60s, it was where were you when Kennedy shot, was shot. And um, in the 80s, well, in 2001, obviously, it was where were you on 9-11. But in the 80s, um, 39 years ago today, it was where were you when you found out Challenger um, had exploded. And um, so today is uh, the 39th anniversary of that tragedy. Um, and uh, definitely a memorable day that is etched in my memory. And uh, once again, excuse me, 29 years ago today. And um, once again, I just, um, you know, our, our sympathies to all those who, who lost loved ones on that day. Um, but today is also Data Privacy Day. And for more information about that, go to our blog at cyberlawradio.wordpress.com. And we have information on the show um, as well and, and Stan's background. Um, but without further ado, Stan, are you with us? Yes, I am, Bennett. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for joining us yet again. Um, so, um, Stan, I guess you know, it's been, it definitely has not been an uninteresting time for your field. Um, you know, it is kind of like that Chinese curse may live in interesting times. Totally true. Uh, what we do, and in some ways, it goes all the way back to where were we when the Challenger disaster hit, if you will. Yes. I was a security engineer, software engineer at uh, TRW at the time, and I remember just you know people coming down the hall and uh, uh, announcing that the, the Challenger had had uh, had had uh, you know had its accident. 
then and you know the impact that had on all of us because the TRW was one of the major uh, aerospace defense contractors at the time mm-hmm. and did a lot of work in, in space and satellites and all and also did a lot of work of course at the origins of, of what has now evolved into this field of cybersecurity management where I mean the game is totally different than it was in the 1980s yes it's, it's just you know thinking back just uh uh, I remember it vividly. I remember where I was, um, and um, actually, my first reaction was one of first horror, but then fear, because I assumed that you know it had to it had to be sabotaged, and if it was sabotaged, that meant this could that would be an act of war, um, and so you know I was kind of fearful for what the consequences might be, but um, so. Um, We've had um, some quite memorable moments here in Los Angeles the last couple of weeks as um, all the details of Sony's hack have become public. You know, all the emails um, and um, the speculation of, you know, what was the source of it. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are saying it's the North Koreans. Do you, do you believe that? It's interesting, and it actually segues back into what you said about the Challenger and was this an act of terrorism, an act of war, and so on, and what are we to make of the Sony, of the Sony hack? It's interesting as to, you know, is it North Korea, is it not North Korea? Because what's been made available publicly certainly points to North Korea, but it's not definitive. There have been news reports, analyses that have been done that suggest that perhaps it was more the Russians than the North Koreans, given the way the language was used in, in some of the uh, some of the, the uh, in the code and, and, and things like that. At the same time, uh, you know, the, if you if you talk to people who have access to the classified information, and of course they can't share that with you, but they can give indicators. Right. It certainly would look like it's the North Koreans who did it. There was a publicly released story in the New York Times a couple of weeks ago that says that the NSA was actually inside the North Korean network prior to the attack on Sony and may have, without realizing what they were watching, may have seen uh, that attack uh, begin to, to manifest. So um, is it North Korea? I mean, this may be those, one of those kinds of things, but, you know, like, like uh, you know, the uh, imitation game, you know, the story of, of Alan Turing and all, may have to wait until the stuff gets declassified 40, 50 years for, later. For the whole story to come out, yes. Yeah. Now, um, you know, and also no one's seen Dennis Rodman anytime soon, so, you know, who knows, it could be him. But I, I imagine... <laughs> Yeah, this is one of the moments in your field where I, I'm guessing your phone must have lit up. Yeah. Uh, in, in some ways it has. It's a game changer here, and certainly in Los Angeles. I don't know what it looks like around the country that same way, but uh, when you look at Target and J.P. Morgan Chase and Home Depot and Dairy Queen, and you know, that's... Um, that's in some sense it's abstract. I mean, J.P. Morgan Chase, it was on a bank. Well, banks are, of course, under attack. You expect it. Right. Uh, credit card theft is epidemic. You expect it. Uh, this wasn't just a cybercrime, what happened to Sony. I mean, this was very malicious. This was very purposeful. Let us try to hurt Sony. Right. And in L.A., that means not just hurting Sony, but that's, I mean, think about, you know, all the people who work in the industry from uh, the 
production companies, the post-production houses, the guilds, the you know the the payroll companies, etc. I mean, this has been something that impacts all of those because it's we're a big city, but we're a small community that way. We're right. in a sense, you know, we're we're a little village in in, in our own sense that way. You know, I moved here um, actually 20 years ago um, from Washington to L.A. And in essence, I went from, you know, two large, you know, one large metropolitan area to another large metropolitan area, each one dominated by a single industry. You know, if you were somebody in that town, you came from that industry. And um, and each town actually um, in awe of the other town's industry. You know, L.A. was, you know, when I moved down here, Clinton was president, and they're all gaga over Clinton. And then, you know, if you're in Hollywood, you go to Washington, and you know, the town just shuts down. So, um, yeah, they're very similar towns. But um, so this happens, and so it looks like it's the North Koreans. Um, but how do you translate this to businesses and say, hey, you know, I know you're not releasing a movie about, you know, Kim, but... Yeah, this could still be real for you. Yeah, then that, that's a good question because partly what it shows. I mean, this was. Let's assume, just for the sake of discussion, that it is North Korea. That means that you know there's a lot of national resources that the North Koreans have to put on this kind of a of, of, uh, an event, the attack of Sony, but. It almost says, given the ubiquitousness of cyber malware that's out there and the way that we're now seeing crime groups and nation states working collaboratively together, buying and selling cyber malware, if you will, uh, any company is at risk of the same thing happening to them that, that happened to Sony. If somebody decides they don't like you, they can do you damage, and that's whether it's a denial-of-service attack, which are the easiest things to pull off on a, on a website, uh, or it's getting inside your computer systems and causing damage. Uh, I think Sony demonstrates that you know this can happen to just about any company. What's also relevant here, and I, to me this is just I mean, one of those factoids, if you will, that uh, is not just generally recognized, when we see it happening to Sony or the, the breaches at Target and things like that, we tend to think, oh, cybercrime is something that happens to big companies right. and small companies. And yet the statistics are that about 30% of all cybercrime victims are small businesses, businesses with under 250 employees. Adding insult to injury, 60% of those victims are out of business within six months of an attack. They just don't have deep pockets to survive, which is unlike Sony and Target and all who would right. be able to survive this. So, again, on that point, are are small to medium-sized businesses targeted because they don't have adequate security, or is there something else about them that makes them why they're attractive? Yeah, good, 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 good question, Bennett. It's, I think it's a combination of, of, of things. First of all, uh, there's always a, a certain percentage of cybercrime that nobody's really being targeted. It's, it's more, you know, it's blast out a uh, phishing attack and see what sticks, if you will. But when you get to the, the targeted side of this, uh, you're going to have 
nation states like North Korea go up against Sony, who's pretty well defended, but nobody's 100%. Right. You're going to have lower level, lower quality attackers uh, going into the small and medium-sized business world or nonprofit world even, simply because they're easier to attack and they're being attacked with, uh, if you will, lower quality resources. Give you an example of that, of, of what's the kind of thing we're seeing with small businesses. Uh, company here in LA contacted us after uh, they received an email that was ostensibly from one of their vendors. And the email said, we've changed our bank account. Here's the new bank routing number, account number. Please make our payments to this, uh, the, the new bank. That email was fraudulent. Uh, when we were called in and investigated it, uh, turned out that the, uh, the vendor company had had their email hacked and the company that called us in had also had their email hacked so that these bad guys were in the system and were able to see all the traffic, all the email traffic going on around all the players. So they were able to build up uh, knowledge of who to send this fraudulent email to and who to make it from so that it looked like it just was part of the normal day in, day out email flow back and forth between these two companies. That's a rather low level attack, particularly given the defenses of these smaller companies uh, against phishing attacks and things like that just isn't that good. It's, it's abs actually rather easy to break into those companies. So when you see that, um, you know, this is, these, these are not super sophisticated nation states attacking you. These are, you know, ordinary criminals wherever they might happen to be who are doing the attacks. Now, a, a couple of years ago, we had um, a cybersecurity expert, you know, from one of the um, security companies, uh, I believe it may have been McAfee, who did a report um, more or less demonstrating that there's kind of the emergence of a, um, a cyber crime mall developing in, in Russia. Um, and it even had a price list at the report. And I think to shut you know, to do a DNS for a day on someone was $120. Yeah. I mean, and that would that could equal millions in damage. That's right. Ab absolutely true. And and what that report that report only become more and more true today. Uh, Brian Krebs, who's a, a noted web uh, blogger on uh, cybersecurity, has a new book out called Spam Nation, and uh, he. Just really describes how, and so much of this is coming from Russia, but he describes how these gangs are working uh, collaboratively and, and in some ways competitively with each other uh, around, the, and, and so much of it is, I mean, you, you look at particular web environments, the Russian business network being one of them, uh, that it's... It's basically these are the, these are where the cyber criminals hang out, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, and they're buying and selling wares and uh, all of that. So it's it's uh, become an industry that way. There was even a report in the New York Times uh, not too long ago where if you want to hire a hacker, uh, you can crowdsource that uh, through websites. Wow. That, uh, you know, I mean, and they're, they're they're full of disclaimers, like you know, these people are not. Uh, you know, are, are not intended to do anything illegal, but of course, right? Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Oh, I, I want you to hack to so you can tell them how to be more efficient. Yes, uh, I'm exactly. sure that's why all hackers are hired. Um, uh, right. Now, speaking of which, just for a quick aside, have you seen the movie Black Hat? I have not yet. No, I haven't. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, some some you know they actually showed it to some hacker groups who thought it was a fairly accurate portrayal of the you know uh-huh. the um, the under the, the the dark world in which they uh, live in. But um, so let's go. Uh, we, I know you've been on the show seven times, but we, we kind of jumped ahead. Um, why don't we do a little bit of your background? I mean, I noticed that um, you were in during the Reagan years. You were actually on uh, a presidential task force on cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm old enough that I go back to, to those days in the 1980s. You know, uh, actually started in cyber security, computer security at the time, with an R&D center called the Mitre Corporation. Uh, this was in 1980. I, I had uh, been a, a mathematics professor and uh, made a career change, went into the aerospace industry, uh, starting with with Mitre, and, and through the 80s, uh, had the opportunity to work on a number of kind of advanced systems. Uh, uh, nuclear safety for nuclear missiles, you know, we want to make sure that A, these things don't go off by accident, and B, if we need them to go, we're, they're going to, you know, they're gonna go where they're the gonna work. Go. <laughs> yeah, that sort of thing, yeah. Um, um, so, yeah, so what, what, what was that like working on the, the Reagan task force? It was interesting. There were two that I, I worked on. Uh, one um, was uh, hosted by a, a group in the White House uh, that provided uh, security and telecommunications advice to the president. The other was uh, with the NSA and the National Institute of Standards and Technologies. And in both of them, we were looking at, and remember, this was the 1980s, we were right. looking at the um, the whole question of how do we appropriately secure sensitive information, but that information that's not classified. I mean, the government had a whole host of, of regulations around regulations and standards around classified information, uh, but that wasn't the case on the sensitive information. So we were looking at, you know, first, what were businesses doing, mostly aerospace businesses in that space at that time uh, for this kind of information, and, and uh, beyond that, what kinds of recommendations we could make to the president so that uh, that information could get could be better identified and and, uh, and and secured. And you know, at that time, since obviously that was the kind of the um, the, the last act of the Cold War, um, was the focus on cybersecurity more thinking you know protect yourself against you know some cyber intrusion from uh, you know one of the Eastern Bloc countries, or was the, was it also recognizing that um, at that time? That um, you know, cybercrime was actually, you know, just another arm of you know of crime. Yeah, uh, at that time it was primarily looking at the aerospace and defense companies what they could do uh, to secure themselves against these kinds of attacks from nation states looking for sensitive information. Um, Russia and the you know the, the former Soviet Union countries. It bled out a bit into the commercial world as part of what we were interested in doing was finding out what was the, the traditional commercial world. I mean, there were credit card systems in place at the time, and companies would have their own uh, access controls. And, and we wanted to find out what the commercial world was doing in that space and how that might uh, impact our thinking 
on how we might better secure uh, the sensitive aerospace defense information that we, you know, all these companies had. And, and now you're on the the state of California cybersecurity task force. So you know, jump forward, you know, twenty plus years. Um, what is that like, and how is the experience different from your um, Reagan administration experience? A good question. First of all, it's it's different in that we are twenty five years, thirty years further along to where the challenge there's not a business, there's not a nonprofit, uh, there's not a government agency or a private school or public school, any of these things that is immune today from cyber threat, and that's already quite different from what it was like in the 1980s. Uh, the task force is charged with doing a number of, of, of things. One is, how do we help, how do we pull together resources to help the, particularly the small and medium-sized businesses in California do a more effective job at securing their own information. And part of what that means with the task force is looking at, okay, here in L.A. we're doing certain things in part through our security association that I know we'll talk about later. Uh, San Diego's got quite a bit going on as well in cybersecurity. A lot of R&D companies are down there. Uh, San Francisco, I mean, throughout the state, there's pockets of knowledge, information, capability, and so on. How do we bring that all together uh, into a, a coherent way, in a coherent way, so that one organ, you know, so that what they're doing in San Francisco can infuse what we do in L.A., which can infuse what goes on in San Diego, and so on. So that's one piece of it. The other is we know for just reality is there are not enough cyber, trained cybersecurity professionals right now. So part of the task force's uh, focus is what do we do to help increase the number of trained cybersecurity professionals here in the, in the state so that we've got the resources available to do what needs to be done in this space. And then put those together in, in kind of the, the, the third thing uh, for, for the task force is just how do we uh, find better ways uh, to collaborate across the whole range of, of cybersecurity issues that are needed? Uh, how do we get the word out to other organizations, things like that, that um, by having this body, you know, the, the state, the the task force, we're better able to, to do those kinds of things, to, to improve security throughout the state, uh, providing a competitive advantage in some ways for California companies, California businesses, and nonprofits. Now, you, you talked about cybersecurity professionals, and we'll get to ISSALA in a minute, but um, is there a certification that says, I am a cybersecurity professional? How does, how does one, if, I, if, if someone wanted to enter that field today, how would they do it? Yeah, good question. Uh, well, certainly, you know, get basic training in technology, IT, and, and, and things like that. That is is a starting point. I mean, you've got to understand that as, as right. the first place to go. But when you've got that, um, the ISSA, Information Systems Security Association, 25 years ago, uh, spun off a nonprofit uh, to define and administer and maintain a, a certification capability. Uh, that organization is ISC squared, and the certification is the Certified Information Systems Security Professional, CISSP. And ISC squared has been running that program now for about 25 years. Uh, 
And that, that becomes kind of one of the starting points, if you will, in, in our profession, it's, that is to get that certification. Beyond it, there are a lot of other certifications as well that one can get. There are government-based certifications, uh, not government-driven, but they, they more reflect kind of the security needs that, that the government has. Uh, the ISACAs, which is an, another organization of um, primarily information system auditors in the security realm, as opposed to practitioners into the in the security realm. Uh, they're, they're LA chapters, a sister chapter of, of our ISSA chapter here, and they have a certified information security auditor. Uh, certification and also a certified information security manager certification. So I would say the CISSP is the first step there. Uh, and then if you're into management, look at the CISM, the certified information security management. So based on that, you, you kind of have some, um, some form of data to measure really the growth of the industry. And you know, what has it been you know, in the last couple of years? Has it been you know, uh, growing in, you know, linear or in, in leaps? Uh, good question there. And I can only speak for what I see here in L.A. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I don't know worldwide more, but what I see in L.A. is, and in, in the in immediate surroundings, if you will, a lot more activity in schools and colleges uh, looking for, looking to develop programs uh, to train people in security, get them ready to take the CISSP exam, for example. Uh, and that's true whether you're looking at a, you know, universities like USC uh, with their information technology program, UCLA, their technology management extension program happening there, uh, Cal Poly Pomona, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo uh, have programs now in, in security. Oh, Cal Poly Pomona has for years uh, done uh, some great work in that space. Uh, the community colleges as well here in L.A., uh, up in Valencia, up in that area, uh, and so on, are, are instituting programs uh, in cybersecurity. So there's a lot of that going on. When you look at the growth of our uh, uh, Los Angeles chapter, ISSA, we're also seeing is kind of smooth and steady growth over the years, uh, both in memberships, but then the people who follow us on LinkedIn and who follow us on Meetup and places like that. So we're seeing kind of nice growth there, if you will. Uh, I wouldn't call it exponential yet. That, that, that's not happening. But the, it's more slow and steady, if you will. Okay. Um, well, I think we're going to take a short break, um, but when we come back, we'll be talking to Stan Stahl, um, president of ISSALA, about the latest in cybersecurity and ISSALA's upcoming security summit. Um, we'll be back after these messages. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Inclusive Marketing is the luxurious five-star resort of digital marketing. Welcome to All-Inclusive Marketing. Engage with All-Inclusive Marketing's award-winning strategists to ramp up your online profitability and brand exposure, driving new customer acquisitions, increased sales, and stronger buyer retention. Another mojito, please. All-Inclusive Marketing's full-service digital and performance marketing accommodates every brand, specializing in retail, travel, and software as a service. What a great room. The A in All-Inclusive Marketing means award-winning leadership. 
leadership, excellence, and results, as well as an A rating by the Better Business Bureau. For reach, engagement, and conversion, it's all-inclusive marketing. Reserve a free consultation today at allinclusivemarketing.com slash radio. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics, seen other SEO experts, but did you know they can help you with PBC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today. Today at BruceClay.com. Introducing Rumble, the smart mobile management system, the first end-to-end mobile platform where you can make real-time app modifications from a point-and-click dashboard. Want to change the design of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Want to change the ad map of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Want to change the content mix of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Power your mobile business with Rumble. Are you ready to rumble? Visit www.rumble.me. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. Ben and Kelly, and with me is Stan Stahl, who is the president of Citadel Information Group and the ISSALA. Stan, um, so we talked a little bit about ISSA, and you have your seventh annual Information Security Summit coming up, I believe, in June at the Los Angeles Convention Center. Um, so tell us about that. It's, Bennett, it's the best summit we've ever had. Uh, it's already shaping up that way, and it's still January. It's June 4th and 5th, uh, L.A. Convention Center. It's a big move for our chapter. Uh, we've been uh, blessed to have a great hotel in the past, uh, but we've outgrown it. And I mean, that's, that's, that's a good thing, that's really yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, so we're moving to the L.A. Convention Center June 4th and 5th. We just received uh, uh, a confirmation from David Kennedy that he will be our primary keynote speaker. Uh, David, for those who don't know, is the founder of a security company called Trusted Sec. Uh, he's one of the heroes of the field, if you will, one of the real names in it. And our closing keynote is uh, Bruce Schneier, who's that same kind of, you know, if, if you're in the field of security, you know the name Bruce Schneier. Uh, he's a cryptographer. He's written something like 11 books on security, uh, somewhat controversial, purposefully so. He's not afraid to tell it like it is. And uh, between David Kennedy as our opening keynote and Bruce as Bruce Schneier as our closing keynote, we're going to have one just really special day on June 4th. Uh, we'll have special sessions, as we always do, designed for boards in the C-suite. What do they need to know about cybersecurity? Uh, I think we're somewhat unique in, in that uh, in, in doing that. On June 5th, we, that's our training day. Uh, we've uh, linked up with the High Tech Crime Investigators Association, HTCIA, uh, to put on uh, training programs for security professionals. And also on June 5th, we're going to have something we've never done before, which is a security boot camp for IT professionals. That's great. What IT professionals need to know to manage uh, the security of the networks that they've got the responsibility for. 
Now you mentioned the C-suite. Um, what do you think the C-suite is 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 really appreciating what's going on in cybersecurity, or the you know are they still way behind? Because I remember the two years ago there was some survey, and ninety three percent or eighty two percent, I think it was, of um, CEOs thought they were not doing enough in cybersecurity. And you know where where do you think we are with that? And is this something that you know C-suite people should attend? First, answer the, the second question first. C-suite people absolutely need to attend the summit uh, because uh, ultimately information security management is a C-suite challenge. Uh, uh, there was a speaker on uh, uh, this week with George Stephanopoulos uh, after the Sony attack. He was a retired major general, and he was asked, uh, "What you know, if, if you called uh, to a board the C-suite, what would you tell them?" And, and he basically said, "I'd say first of all, you've got to take information security management every bit as seriously as you take operations and finance. That's C-suite, right?" Second, he says. When you go to your CIO and you say, "Are we? How are we doing?" and he says, "He, the CIO, says everything's going fine." Uh, that's not enough. You've got to be able to ask questions and understand the answers. And this is a challenge often for boards who don't have technical people on them. So, uh, absolutely, the coming to the summit is, is something we, we encourage C-suite and boards to do, and we have a special program specifically for them in, in, in doing that. Answering your, your first question, how has the world changed there? Uh, yeah, you're right. A few years ago, Carnegie Mellon did a study. Uh, the author of the study wrote a piece in Forbes magazine with the headline, Boards are Clueless. <laughs> forward now a couple of years later and we're seeing more and more uh, interest on the parts of boards and boards organiza- board organizations National Association of Corporate Directors for example uh, is doing quite a bit now in trying to help boards get better uh, get a deeper understanding of cybersecurity management and, and what that's all about I'm finding that uh, I'm getting more requests to speak to boards than I have ever before. So there's more interest on the part of boards uh, to get their heads around this. Uh, so I think we're seeing that change. Uh, again, it's hard to say nationally how that's changing, but right. certainly based on what I'm seeing, there's significantly more interest and awareness by boards, and they're hungry for knowledge. And that's a piece of what ISSALA uh, really is all about. I mean, our, as you know, as you sit on our Community Outreach Advisory Board, our, our motto, if you will, is it takes the village to secure right. the village. And getting the participation of the C-suite and the boards is just, uh, it's, it's one of the really significant leverage points for the village. Now, you raise an interesting point in terms of bringing in terms of the, the CEOs and the C-suite getting up to speed on this issue, you know, it's one thing to take it seriously and allocate resources, but it's another thing to be able to ask the right question. You know, I remember a, a story, and I don't know if it's if how to what extent it, it's real, but um, Einstein being hired by some um, someone to kind of figure out some problem, and um, he. He, there, was this, there was a problem that was written on the blackboard, and he was only there for like three minutes. 
and he, he, he quickly put an X where the error was and said, okay, there's your problem. No, no. And then, then he sent them a bill for like $10,000. And they objected. They said, well, you know, you're only there three minutes. $10,000 um, seems like a lot of money. And he said, well, um, $500 is for my time. $9,500 is for knowing where to put the X. And, and so, you know, it seems like for the C-suite, you know, the question of knowing what questions to ask is, of, is just as important as having the right people. Yeah, to- totally true, Bennett. Uh, you've got to know the, the right questions. And part of, part of what makes this such a challenge is that you can almost divide cybersecurity management into two distinct threads. One thread is what goes on in the technology infrastructure, how that's being managed, specifically, particularly from a security point of view. That's one thread. With that, there's a whole ton of deep, deep, deep technical questions that you have to ask and make sure are answered correctly. Um, and yet those questions tend to live outside the domain of expertise of, of board members of business people who are not technical. Uh, You see it manifest when at uh, Target, Target had technology that saw this attack, uh, this breach occurring, yet it wasn't picked up on it, wasn't used, and so on. And that's, in some ways, a reflection of that lack of board understanding and saying to the CIO at Target, you have got to pay attention to security. That's vital to our interests. We may not understand what this technology is doing, but you have to, and you have to pay attention to it. So that's one whole thread where the board and C-suite have to really impose their leverage, if you will. Uh, Another simple example of that in a smaller business, I was doing, uh, I was in a meeting with a a small company, uh, their IT person, their manager, the owner of the company, and so on, and I had the IT person basically tell me that he couldn't do something because it wouldn't work, doesn't matter what the details are, but it, it ended up weakening the company's security, and he was just flat out wrong that it wouldn't work. I mean, it was his own lack of knowledge there. So the board's got to know enough to be able to ask, you know, to be able to push on, well, we can't do it because yada, 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 whatever that is. Right. That's one whole thread. The other thread, and this is part of, again, I think where, where boards, boards will better understand, but they have to, you know, the, the solution, but they have to understand the problem. The, a key piece of how most cyber attacks succeed today is through phishing attacks, phishing emails. Mm-hmm. They can either be spear phishing where they're focused on a particular individual, like the cyber fraud case I illustrated earlier, change our bank account thing, or they could be more general phishing attacks. Uh, the C-suite and the board have to understand that they've really got to pay attention to training their people to be aware of phishing attacks and not fall for the bait, if you will, but also from that or based on that, related to that, they've got to work to change the culture of the organization so it becomes more security sensitive, security aware. It's almost like building security into their DNA. Right. This is something, I mean, historically we've learned since we climbed down from trees, you know, how to pay attention to our physical security out down here on the ground, if you will. 
we've got to build that into our businesses uh, every bit as, as much as, as uh, we've built physical security understandings there. Now, last week was the President's State of the Union address, and there was a lot of attention given to Internet issues, including cybersecurity. Um, have you ever seen this have the issue have such prominence politically? And, and what did you think of what the President had to say? Yeah, well, first, I'm grateful that the president you know has seen the seriousness of, of this sufficiently that it has made it into the state of the union uh, a couple of years ago he, he was the first president to really reach out in this space and begin to change how security was managed in the government when he brought Howard Schmidt on as right. his cybersecurity coordinator. Howard, by the way, is the, was at the time the international president of ISSA. Um, <laughs> so it's, it, it's good that you know he's, he's doing that. Um, I'm all in favor of the idea that we do need more information sharing opportunities, public-private partnerships and things like that. Uh, that's something we've been working on here in Los Angeles. Uh, I host a monthly group of business of bankers, uh, treasury and security people in banks, and law enforcement people, FBI, Secret Service, the Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office is active, and so on. And that, and it's all about how do we better share information. I'm concerned about uh, the president's proposal, and it's been on the table for quite a while, that right. companies that voluntarily provide information about cybercrime and, and things like that uh, are immune from lawsuits for having released that information. I think that's a slippery slope we've got to be careful about because we want uh, the threat of lawsuits to be one of those things that is an inducement to a company to do the right thing. Right. If you weaken that, I think you end up weakening security. So I think we've got to, we've got to manage that piece of it very, very carefully. And, you know, I, I'm convinced we can do that, but we have to do it. And, you know, if, if we're going to really move this, move this ball forward. Do you think um, there's always been a tension between you know, having voluntary standards for security versus, you know, mandating certain standards, which is difficult in a, you know, a technology setting, especially when technology changes. Um, what, do you, what is the best approach there? Well, it, my, my sense is you mandate uh, that you've got to have a certain kind of protection, a certain level of protection, um, and that it's got to follow uh, an approved framework, if you will. And then you leave it up to the individual company uh, based on its own business circumstances as to what, you know, how it implements that framework, so to speak. Uh, the, the two frameworks that are out there, they're complementary. We, in our, our work with our clients, use both of them simultaneously as a framework. One is the international standard ISO 27001 and 27002, and the other is the new National Institute of Standards and Technology framework that uh, came out of an executive action of Obama's following last year's uh, State of the Union address. Now, to what extent is the NSA scandal um, in the whole surveillance state impacting cybersecurity uh, on, in a negative way? Yeah, uh, good question in, in that. Uh, I think where it impacts perhaps in a negative way is at the national level uh, with uh, questioning constraints, putting constraints on the NSA and, and, and things like that, uh, getting advanced information, if you will, that uh, were we to have it, we might be able to better defend ourselves. Uh, 
where it's not having an impact at all that I see is on, you know, okay, you're a small, medium-sized business. What do you need to do to secure your own shop, your own house, if you will? Um, it's, it's there where I, I don't see much impact. The greatest impact, though, when it goes to today being Privacy Day, is in the private sector where there's now it's, – it's raised the bar. It's now people are much more concerned about cyber privacy than perhaps they were earlier uh, before the, the Snowden revelations, if you will. And, and we're seeing things like we have a client, for example, uh, a company called Standard Clouds that is building an infrastructure, uh, an ecosystem, if you will, website, uh, web browser uh, secure email, things of that nature, uh, that will give the user much more control over what information is being shared when he or she, you know, clicks on a link or does a search or something like that, so that um, do you want, you know, if the user doesn't want that information to get to whether it's the government, NSA or whoever, or if it's the marketers uh, who take all the information through Google and whatever that's made available and display, you know, advertising and, and so on. In both cases, the, the, the Snowden impact has been towards, okay, let's build something that the user gets to say, I'm going to share this, I'm not going to share that. Yeah, and we're actually um, we're going to be having them on our show at a, at a later date. But Stan, we've we only got a few minutes left. If um, people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do so? Oh, thanks for asking. A uh, number of ways. First, uh, our website is citadel-information.com, C-I-T-A-D-E-L-information. Our phone number is on there, so you can call me directly. Uh, you can send an email to stan at citadel-information.com or to president at org. Uh, any of those will, will get to me. Well, Stan, thanks a lot. Um, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll wrap up the show. But, Stan, I want to thank you for joining us for your seventh time. Um, it's definitely been insightful, and uh, to encourage people to check out the um, ISSA Summit, I'll, I know I'll be there. So we'll be back, after these, we'll be back after these messages. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Whether you are an online business or domain name investor, you need access to the best names. With over 270 million domains already registered, finding the right names at the best price requires a great wingman. Namejet.com puts you in the pilot seat by giving you fast and unparalleled access to some of the best premium and expired domain names on earth. As the number one domain name auction platform, Namejet.com is the best place to find domains for your business or investment. So light the afterburners to the domain name aftermarket and fly over to Namejet.com at box speed to get great domains today. Namejet.com. ShipStation helps online retailers ship orders faster. It's so easy to set up and use. ShipStation gives you tools to automatically import, manage, and ship your orders in the most cost-efficient way. Save money with the best USPS rates possible, as well as a free USPS account. ShipStation integrates with all the most popular e-commerce platforms and shipping carriers. Get shipping done no matter where you sell or how you ship. WebmasterRadio.fm listeners get an additional 30 days free after the free 30-day trial. Go to ShipStation.com slash 
slash Webmaster Radio now. Shipping Nirvana starts here. InternetMarketingINC.com is one of the fastest growing full service digital marketing agencies in the country, specializing in providing results driven online marketing solutions. Internet Marketing Inc.'s passionate team prides themselves on staying ahead of marketing trends to create and implement campaigns that get more traffic to your website, gain positive brand awareness, and drive conversions. If you are looking for a data driven approach to online marketing and advertising, call Internet Marketing Inc. today at 866-563-0620 or visit internetmarketinginc.com. When you started your business, you first listened to your professors. Now that your business is growing and gaining ground, you only seek out professionals. PPC Professionals, an industry leader for highly optimized search marketing campaigns with over 30 years of combined management experience. Our professional approach to every campaign helps you find every avenue of revenue so that you can not only stay ahead of your competitors, but get a return on your investment and increase your bottom line. PPC Professionals. Personal, professional, PPC services. PPCProfessionals.com. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Only on WebmasterRadio.fm. This is Bennett Kelly. We're back. And um, just a few minutes left to um, wrap things up. I want to give a few shout-outs. Um, and, again, this is all on our blog at cyberlawradio.wordpress. And the um, first shout-out goes to um, the members of the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom. Um, seven of the nine members have actually sent a letter to the Saudi government in their individual capacity um, in condemning the, um, uh, the punishment of um, blogger um, Malawi uh, Rafe Badawi, and um, he has been sentenced to receive a thousand lashes, um, you know, over the course of fifty um, fifty weeks, and um, was and actually was after the first set of lashes was administered, um, he was supposed to be. His, his um, second set of lashes were postponed because he had not recovered from the first set, um, showing just how brutal this is. And um, so his um, his lashes have been postponed. Um, but um, so the um, the committee actually wrote to the Saudi government condemning this and saying that they would step forward and take a hundred lashes each of them on his behalf. Um, quite a daring statement. That's putting your definitely putting your money where your mouth is. Um, and I, I am high praise to each of those members. Um, secondly, I want to congratulate Klika Yap, um, whose birthday is coming up. But um, and she's a client at um, Citrus Studios and a couple other companies. She's featured on the Hallmark Channel on a segment on mompreneurs, um, you know, and how to bring your idea to um, to market. Um, so I definitely encourage you to check it out. There's a link to it on our blog. Um, also, want to give a shout out to. Um, Moses Brown um, Academy in um, Providence, Rhode Island, my hometown, which probably had one of the funniest um, and most viral um, school is closed today um, announcements. And I encourage you to check out that video. Um, quite a funny little segment. Also, um, Cal Ripkin. Um, apparently, there was a school in Maryland, um, Pocomoke High School, that did a social media campaign to try to get the, you know, the Hall of Famer to speak at their graduation Unfortunately, um, you know, Ripken was unavailable that day. He actually had a conflict. And so um, today he, um, he did a surprise visit to the school and spoke at an assembly. And uh, so that's you know, 
typical of Cal Berkman. He's always been a classy guy. I think one of the things I always enjoyed most when I was in Washington was going to Orioles games and just seeing the way fans reacted to him. He is a class act, and you know, he deserves every bit of praise that he gets. Um, and then, um, as we said, today is um, Data Privacy Day, and they're releasing a movie called um, Cyber Seniors. And uh, we have a trailer on the, on the blog. Encourage you to check it out, but it looks interesting. Um, you know, trying to connect senior citizens, you know, on um, cyber issues. It looks like it's definitely going to be something to check out. Um, and then, uh, of course, um, it would be remiss if we didn't do a shout out for um, Tom Brady and the England Patriots, who uh, we wish them luck. And um, it's going to be a great Super Bowl, a great matchup. But um, I'm hoping it'll be the Patriots who win. So um, we have some. Shows coming up that are of interest. The uh, FTC has released a study on the Internet of Things. Um, it's a report following the workshop they had in November, and we'll be talking about the findings of that report and recommendations. Um, we also got another author, um, Frank Pascal, who's a law professor at the University of Maryland, has a book out, Black Box Society, and um, we're going to be talking about that um, in a couple of weeks. So um, stay tuned. we got a lot of stuff coming your way. Um, also in February, there will be the F- F- federal communication decision on net neutrality, and we'll be talking about that um, after that happens. So um, it's going to be a busy a month ahead. Um, so, um, Brasco, do you have any thoughts on the Super Bowl? Not really necessarily. I just think the Patriots will win. There's not even any question to me there. I just think. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, look. Tom Brady's got weapons again. He's got places to go with the ball. That Rob Gronkowski is going to be a go-to guy. Um, they got a running game again, which has always been the issue. Whether it's effective enough to really make him go somewhere. Defense is good. They got good. Yeah, they got some good guys on defense, man. Where uh, they picked up a couple of Buccaneer guys in their time with Laguerre Blount, Akeem Talib, That's true, yes, you know, uh, Dur- Durrell Revis. Like they've gotten some of our guys, and you know they've gotten some help. So uh, I'll go for them in that route. And Tom, it's going to be good to see him go all the fourth ring, and I think he should retire after that. You think? Well, he wants to. He's, he's stated he wants to be able to play till his forties. And uh, you know, it's funny uh, when I was a kid. I remember the Steelers um, winning um, their fourth Super Bowl. It was 1980. And what I loved about it was the uh, their motto for the next year was one for the thumb in 81. <laughs> and, you know, so if the Patriots win, I just can't think of a, a catchy slogan. But, but um, it just comes down to the fact that, you know, Tom doesn't have to go any farther. Look, he's done everything he can do in his career. There's really not much else for him to approve. Nothing else for him to really achieve. Look, you know, and Belichick, we've already been proven. Look, he'll find someone else to go ahead and come over there. He keeps finding the right people because that's the other thing of everything else. That Belichick knows how to create team spirit. It doesn't even matter who is out there because there's not a lot of big, like, real superstar names, but it doesn't need them. That guy just knows how to coach championship football, man. He knows what he's doing, and and they'll do it again. Not even doubting it. and the funny thing is, is I remember when he was a Browns coach, and he, you know, he did, did okay, but not great. He was and, still figuring his way. He was yeah. still finding his way. I remember reading all about that. And like, he was a Parcells guy, and you know, he still like he learned from mistakes there, and then he got himself coordinating again, and then he got back to his spot. And the man, you got a guy that's still arguably what was he sixth round in Michigan? Tom Brady yes. found the guy, and you had Drew Bledsoe, who was like perennial, like that guy was all star, Pro Bowler, and. 
he's always been able to make the right changes. He's always been able to be competitive, get himself near the playoffs or in the playoffs every year for over a decade. Right. Just no. And then everybody that oh, that's the best part. Oh, that's the flake gate thing that's just gonna just gonna fire the guys up. It's one of those bulletin board things you're gonna have up in the, in the locker room that's just gonna fire up Tom Brady and the guys, and that's all he need. I it, think so. It'll be I a think, blowout you know, this funny. weekend, I but not in the eighties, you know, Georgetown basketball and you know, there was they were under such attack, they had this thing called Hoya Paranoia. And and they just fed on it. They liked, you know, the fact that everyone hated them. Yeah, yeah. that just made them you know, more determined. And uh, that's why I think that that's what the reaction yeah, from this the whole, Lakers in the eighties and the Pistons in the nineties and the same yeah. thing. You know, really. No difference. Look, it's it the dynasty is there and Look, give praise to Brady, bro. That guy, he's done everything. And you know yeah. what? If anybody wants to do like that cliched sports radio thing, who's the best? You know, football, who's the best quarterback there is? You know what? There you go, Tom Brady. He's got the rings to prove it. He does. Although Montana, a lot of people talk about him, particularly his calm. I remember hearing a story. Um, they had a TV timeout right before, um, you know, during the final drive against the Bengals. And they're in the huddle, and it was Randy Cross who said this. And um, Montana says, hey, look up there. There's John Candy in the, in the stands. And, and the fact that he could be that calm, that he could see, you know, hey, there's a celebrity, and point that out, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, that just says something. So in any event, um, we're running out of time. Yeah. Um, so go, Pats. Um, we hope you <laughs> we hope you bring, bring home the trophy. So, um, But everyone, have a great Super Bowl weekend. This is Bennett Kelly. Um, thanks for joining us. Tune in next week um, for another edition of Cyber Law and Business Report. And listen to us on um, various blog channels, everything from iTunes to Stitcher to TuneIn to, and of course, you can listen to us always on webmasterradio.fm. See you next week, everyone. Go Pats! has been a presentation of webmasterradio.fm the world's largest business to business radio and podcast network we welcome you to sample past episodes of this program as well as our complete library of programs on demand or on the air via our 24 7 live audio stream at www.webmasterradio.fm The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.